It is a blessing to see these young people willing to come up and read, and they just sense a calmness and a peace and a boldness and a willing to do that, willingness to do that, and it has been a blessing as we've been going through this Advent season. At this time, uh, we want to invite the children kindergarten through fifth grade to exit out to the New Fellowship Hall. And Josh is going to uh, lead you in children's church out there this morning. And remember, the youth, you are invited to stay in here this morning. So as you guys make your way out, as we've said, we will be looking at the subject of joy this morning. And we are in Romans chapter 5, the first five verses. It says, Therefore... Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing The suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for the hope for the joy that has been poured into our hearts, for the privilege, for the opportunity to rejoice, for the power to rejoice because of the gift of your Son. I pray for your wisdom this morning as we look at what joy is and how we obtain joy, where joy comes from, Father. We seek your guidance this morning, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what is joy? We want to look at that this morning. We want to define joy. We also want to look at where joy comes from and then also how we obtain joy but as i said first we want to look at what joy is you've heard me define many times what hope is a couple of weeks ago josh defined peace and when i say defined remember we talked about what it meant then in biblical times in the word that is translated now into joy I mean, into hope and into peace. And we talked about what it means to us now and how those are different and how we wanted to look at the true biblical definitions of those things. And this morning, we want to look at the biblical definition of joy. What is true joy? Context is key. You've probably heard that many times that you've been taught about studying Scripture. You need to understand where they were coming from when the text was written. You need to understand what the words meant then, how they looked at hope how they looked at peace, and how they looked at joy. And that's how we, the perspective we should be coming from when we look at these words in Scripture. Joy is no different than defining hope and defining peace. It has what we have an accepted definition of its day in in contemporary and modern society. And then there is the biblical definition for the root word of it. The dictionary definition of joy for us today is a feeling of great pleasure and happiness. You know, that's the one that we relate to most, isn't it? I can tell you Thursday morning, we had a lot of pleasure and a lot of happiness when we discovered that there were twins. I had a friend this week, I guess I can call him a friend. He said, he's double happy. 
He's happy for us and he's happy he's not us. <laughs> I can understand where he's coming from, I guess. But we had a lot of happiness, a lot of excitement about those babies. I ask you this morning, what do you think of when you think of joy? Is it that euphoria, that happiness, often as a result of some good circumstance? Is that what you think of when you think of joy? Is it a feeling? The Greek word that is translated joy has this definition. It's cheerfulness or calm delight. How simple and how beautiful that definition is. When you think of joy, when when we think of joy, we think of this bubbling over and this uncontrollable excitement. But the Greek definition is cheerfulness, calm delight. That is true joy. A an excitement, but a controlled excitement. Not that you're trying to hold it in, but just a peaceful, calm delight with life, with what you've experienced, with what you are experiencing, with what you're anticipating. That's what the true definition of joy is. What is the source of that joy? That deep joy that, that comes from deep within and is not based just on circumstances. What is the source of that joy? In the commentary for the Life Application Study Bible for these verses in Romans chapter 5, has a very simple heading. It says, Faith brings joy. How simple that definition is, that explanation is. In these verses, In Romans chapter 5, Paul is beginning a discussion about basically a two-sided reality, two, two facts. The first fact is that we, as believers, are complete in Christ. Our acceptance with Him is secure. We are justified. We are made declared righteous because of Christ. The second reality is that we are growing in Christ. We are becoming more and more like Christ because of his finished work. In chapter 5, verse 1, the text begins, this section begins with the word therefore. Using that word, Paul is basically indicating a conclusion. This is going to be a conclusion based on, my, on his previous arguments, what he has been explaining in detail. He is bringing to a conclusion here. Basically, because of this fact, this is true. In chapter 4, Paul showed how sinners, both Jews and Gentiles, are justified by faith and by faith alone. In Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 23, it says, But the words... It was counted to him. It was because of him. They were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In this text, Paul begins to describe 
how having been justified, how have being made right in God's eyes, by faith, remember, by faith, how it affects our relationship with God. First of all, we have peace with God. Because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, has done for us, we have peace with God. Having peace with God means that there's no more hostility between us and God. No more separation between us and God. No sin blocking our relationship with Him. No scars, remember? No scars between us. But more than that, a new relationship has been established because of the sacrifice of Christ. For that reason, we no longer fear judgment. You sang this morning, there's no more fear. It's because of that relationship with Jesus Christ that we have no fear of judgment. We have no fear of eternal consequences because the price has been paid. And we live under the protection that was established by God. In chapter 5, verse 2, it says, Not only has Christ made us right with God, but He's also given us personal access to God. We, as simple human beings, have access to the Creator God because of Christ. It brings us into a place of extreme high privilege with God, where we stand justified, declared righteous before Him. We've been brought into a place of favor with God. And instead of being His enemies, we are His friends. In John chapter 15, verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. In fact, we are his own children. In Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We're not servants. We're not standing afar off. We are adopted sons and daughters of the one true God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Mankind was created to glorify God. But because of sin, we have fallen short of God's standard. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our biggest problem, remember? It's God's purpose to recreate His image. To recreate His glory fully in us as His children, as believers. So that because of that, we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Remember last week, not to be consumed or crushed by His glory, but to share His glory. That's a privilege available to each of us as believers. Anticipating our future with God should bring us as believers great joy. We stand in God's grace. 
And the outcome of our lives is secure in his hands. We no longer need to be paralyzed by thoughts of judgment, of punishment due, because it's all taken. Now, because of his great gift, we can reflect upon and we can respond to his grace, his finished work, his power, his amazing gift to us. In chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we, we see about problems, about sufferings. See, problems and trials were pretty prevalent in, in the first century time for first century Christians. They're pretty normal for us, aren't they? You sit and reflect on just the prayer requests that were made known here this morning. We face a lot of suffering. We face a lot of trials, don't we? On their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas preached in several cities. And because of their preaching, many people became believers. But as always was the case, there was an immediate backslash of persecution against believers. They were in suffering was inflicted upon them because of their belief, because of the teaching, because of their acceptance. Suffering does not disprove the reality of God's love. Suffering does not disprove the reality and the fullness of God's love. It provides an opportunity to affirm God's love. It provides the opportunity to apply God's love. To give it opportunity to work in our lives. This character quality of learning to endure suffering and trials. It's not an end in itself. It's it's not the finished work. Just because you endure suffering doesn't mean that you'll be joyful. It doesn't mean the more you suffer, the more joy you'll have. It's not the way it works. In 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Endurance, living through suffering, is one step in a process. Endurance develops strength of character. It changes us deep within as we endure trials and suffering. A person of good character responds morally, responds in a Christ-like manner to trials and sufferings that they face. It doesn't mean that if you react poorly that you're not a Christian. It just means that there's more work to do. There's more work to do here. I know that. And I know there's more work to do in each of us because... We are imperfect 
sinful creatures. The word character also includes the idea of approved as a result of testing. You judge someone's character by how they respond to suffering. Now, it shouldn't be a final judgment because we're not the final judges. And we should never judge someone by their first reaction. And we should never judge to the point of condemnation any of their reactions to suffering. We should be willing to walk with them, to encourage them, to point them to the source of joy and rest than condemning them in their responses. We should be willing as fellow believers in Christ to help their character grow, to help them grow in their faith through the trials that they might be facing. A person with a true deep character is known for their inward qualities rather than any outward appearances. How deep does their faith go? The end result of this chain reaction of suffering to endurance is a confident expectation of salvation. It's hope. That expectation, that belief that something will be fulfilled, that something will be completed. Confidence that God is in control, that God is sovereign over every detail and will see us through. The difficulties of life are not random. They're not coincidences. God controls each difficulty. He allows each difficulty, controls each detail for the purpose of sanctifying us, setting us apart and drawing us closer to Him and for the roots of our spirituality, for our faith to grow deeper into Him and trust in Him. The trials are not meaningless. They're not wasted when we are trusting God. You know, I laughed a little earlier about our joy and rejoicing of the twins. But you think more about it, and, you're, and the reality hit then too. But there's potential health issues for Amanda. That's a lot on a body to care for two babies, let alone one. And there's all sorts of variables and questions. And then once the babies are here, learning to live on less sleep, whatever the physical challenges bring, it's not going to be suffering, but it is going to be trials. It is going to be testing our physical endurance. And I pray that by the grace of God that he will, and I know by faith that he will draw us nearer to him as those physical challenges come. Some challenges don't come with such potential joy. Some challenges are just completely wrapped in sorrow and pain and suffering. And God is sufficient to bring joy even out of those. Our God is that big. In chapter 5, verse 5, our expectation that God will keep His promises will never disappoint us. If we truly rest in that expectation, yes, circumstances will not turn out always positive. But He will sustain us. He is sufficient to carry us when our trust is in God. 
We are absolutely assured that he will fulfill everything that he has promised. We will be resurrected to eternal life because that's the ultimate promise. And we will be with him in glory for eternity. Eternity is forever and ever. Why? Why do we have that gift awaiting us? Because he's already given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The Spirit of God ministers to our spirits and empowers us and carries us through whatever suffering, through whatever trials we face on this earth. That is the source of true joy, deep, lasting, indescribable joy, is a relationship with God through the death, resurrection, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. That is the source of true joy. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit continues to encourage us as we open our hearts to Him. Reminding us of how dearly, unconditionally, that God loves us, each one. He loves us and will do as He has promised us. How do you know that? How do you know that God's love is complete that his, his love is sufficient. How do you know that you can hope with an, ex, with an unbending expectation that his promises will be fulfilled? How do we know that? That's faith. That's trusting in what you believe that it will be fulfilled. We can have hope in God because of the very nature of his love. So where does this joy come from? From God alone. That's where true joy comes from. It can't be based on anything, any circumstances, any material possessions in this world, any relationships that we may have obtained or may desire in this world. True joy comes only through God and through the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where true joy comes from. How do we get that joy? How do we embrace that joy in our lives? In John Chapter 15, starting in verse 9. This is Jesus. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. How do we do that? How do we abide in his love? Well, he tells us. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, And abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. How does his joy abide in us, and how is our joy full? When we follow his commandments, when we walk in the path that he has laid out before us. How do we do that? How do we keep his commandments? We have to understand something. We have to truly believe, truly believe it. In Psalms 73, starting in verse 24, it says, You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Speaking of God. My flesh 
and my heart might fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Do you understand that statement? It means, yes, we have relationships on this earth. We have possessions on this earth. We have things that bring us delight and pleasure on this earth. But when we truly understand joy, there's nothing we desire more. Nothing that we desire more than God, more than a personal, deep relationship with our Creator God. If we understand that principle, if we understand that nothing else compares to God, that's when we begin to understand the true source of joy. You remember the little children's song, J-O-Y, Jesus first and yourself last and others in between. The key to that is Jesus first. When we put Jesus first and we understand the nature of Jesus and we look at the the life that he demonstrated for us in a sacrificial walk on this earth, his sacrificial death and resurrection, that's the source of true joy. When, yes, we embrace the gifts that he gives us on this earth and we delight in his love and giving those things to us, but we hold them loosely and know that he is above all the most important things to us. In his relationship with us, our relationship with him is the most important thing to us. Is that true in your life? Is that true in your heart? If you embrace that truth, that is how you embrace the source of true joy. Is to hold loosely to everything of this world. Can you say that you do that? Do you understand where you're not? How do we obtain true joy? We make our lives all about the source of true joy. We live our lives for the God who created us. We live our lives for the God who sent his son to this earth to live and to die and to be resurrected for us. That's how we obtain true joy and stop trying to find euphoria in brief moments of satisfaction in the things that this world has to offer. In Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you, so that I may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle, in our struggles against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, but he did. He, in deep agony over what he was about to face, went to that cross for me, for you, so that we could obtain obtain true joy. Satan wants to make it appear like it's all about us. Satan distracts us by wanting us to focus on our own pleasures, our selfishness, our own comfort. 
He wants us to think that if we don't have the perfect job, if we don't have the perfect relationship, if we don't have the perfect kids, if we don't get through a health situation, He wants to make us think it's all about us. But what He's doing is getting us off of the true goal of making it all about God. Because the truth is, Satan doesn't care about you. He just cares about dishonoring God. Because he knows that we were created for the sole purpose of glorifying God. In any way that he can take glory away from God is where he gets his satisfaction. So again, his ploy is to, show, to try to get us to make it all about us. Jesus has made it all about us. Yes, he wants our obedience. He wants us to walk in obedience to him, in obedience to his father. But guess what? He led the way with the ultimate act of obedience, of dying on that cross, of suffering the pain of those nail-pierced hands that Mike talked about this morning. Christ did that for us, for you, so that you might have access to true joy. We are delivered. How can we not be joyful? Do you understand the full weight of that last statement of the narrative that was read this morning? We are delivered. How can we possibly not be joyful? Because we're believing the lies that Satan tells us that it's all about us. And not believing the truth of the gift that Christ, in fact, did make it all about us. In shedding his blood and suffering that pain dying on that cross, being laid in that tomb, but being resurrected in victory over death and sin. He did that for us so that we could embrace true, deep, lasting, unshaking joy. What a blessing that is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of true joy. We thank you for the gift of true joy. We thank you for the power to obtain that joy through your spirit, to the ministry of your Holy Spirit, to empty ourselves of ourselves, to understand that it's not for us to make it about ourselves, but for us to trust in you and to know that you will be sufficient, that you will care for us, God. We thank you that your son made it all about us, Father. That we could come into relationship with you. That we would be empowered to live lives that are glorifying to you because that is why you created us. To glorify you, Father. Give us each clear vision, spiritual vision here this morning to see the areas where we're not making it about you. Where we're making it about our comfort, about our satisfaction, about our recognition, about others respecting us. But give us clear spiritual eyes to embrace the power, the gift of joy. The gift of resting in you and trusting in you and understanding that you and our relationship with you is the only thing that matters, Father. Thank you for that gift that was given us through that little baby born over 2,000 years ago, Father. We praise you and we thank you, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you join us in singing The Wonder of Wonders?